Welcome to the College Scoops podcast. I'm your host, Moira McCullough, and today we are talking with Nikki Porcaro about the pros and cons of taking the standardized test for college admissions. Scores essentially are a measurable standardized data point in a sea of increasing applications, as we've all seen the numbers, that show how a student's GPA aligns with their true mastery of content, right? So as we said, grades could measure mastery or they could not. And that's also not to say that these tests are the only measure of intelligence or the true measure of intelligence or you're stupid if you do bad or you're smart if you do well, that's not true. This is the College Scoops Podcast, and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college-related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college related and leave us a review and even a College Scoops care package. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members. Nicole Andrea Porcaro has been a fixture on the college admission scene for over 15 years. Nikki grew up in northern New Jersey and graduated from the University of Maryland College Park with a BA in broadcast journalism and a concentration in sociology. She completed a citation in the College Park Scholars Honors Program and competed for the nationally ranked Maryland Club gymnastics team. After working in the worlds of promotional modeling and journalism for a few years, including stints at NBC and ESPN, Nikki received her Master's of Science in Education in Teaching Language and Literacy, grades 6 through 12, from Purdue University, graduating summa cum laude. Nikki is also a Harvard Global Ambassador, assisting in connecting students in the Harvard Extension School community. In addition to her studies, Nikki is an avid trapeze artist and aerialist performing in multiple shows each year and enjoys traveling the world. So far, Nikki has been to seven continents and 29 countries. Nikki was also a recent contestant on Jeopardy in June 2021, one of the 0.01% of those who try out to hold this honor each year, as well as a contestant on MLB's The Catch during the 2018 All-Star game broadcast in Washington, D.C. She is proud that the company she started from the ground up, No Anxiety Prep, has won Washington Family Magazine's Best SAT ACT Prep Program in 2020 and 2021 and Best Tutoring Program Award in 2021. Welcome to the College Scoops podcast. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I went through your bio and there were so many things there that I was just, I had so many questions about because you're a rock star. You've done an awful lot in a short amount of time. So I'm going to follow you to see what else you're doing and then make myself feel bad that I'm not up to my game. (laughs) No, I don't want anybody to feel bad, but I've always believed the, uh, you can sleep when you're dead mantra. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta do what you can while you can do it. 
Absolutely. So one thing that I wanted to start out with, you basically founded No Anxiety Prep Testing Company. So we're going to talk about testing and all that, but I want to get to some really exciting things that I read about. You were a trapeze artist and an aerialist. Like, hello, how did you even become interested in that? Where did that come from? Can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I grew up as a gymnast. I competed throughout college and, you know, gymnastics is a sport, unfortunately, that you age out pretty early. So the kind of old joke is that circus is where old gymnasts go to die. And I found the circus community here in Washington, DC, and was able to pick it up pretty quickly with my background, you know, aerial awareness, gymnastics, and, you know, it's always fun to perform in a tutu and some sparkles. So I was able to, (laughs) I still do, and I still like to perform in shows and do some flips in the air and not afraid of heights obviously no you know it's actually a lot less scary than gymnastics because in gymnastics there's no net so if you fall in gymnastics you you break some bones but here if you know how to land you're you're usually pretty good that's unbelievable I mean it's just one of those things as you said natural fit was the gymnastics but you were also a gymnast at University of Maryland right Yeah, I competed in nationally ranked competitive club gymnastics. So we were able to travel and go to different schools and go to nationals and and compete um, at a slightly lower level than D1, but that was still really, really fun and and high level gymnastics. So this was a really great way to continue that with a lot less injury, a lot less training and a little bit more of the fun showmanship rather than the competition. I love the competitive aspect, but sometimes it's nice to be able to just kind of do some fun tricks and not worry about what a judge thinks about you. Exactly. And you're not afraid of being out and performing in front of everyone because that's what gymnastics is all about as well right all the attention is on you so um (laughs) that would be my absolute worst nightmare if I were going to get hazed in college that would be it (laughs) go out in front of somebody and try to do some type of performance dance or public speaking so you were on jeopardy I feel so cool to be in the presence of you. So I want to hear all about that because obviously uh, I'll tell you a quick story. We were playing Bananagrams during the holidays this year and I got very upset with my family because my vocab is not where it should be. And I was only getting like four letter words and I was really angry and I walked away and I've been a Wordle fiend since. So if I'm on Wordle and I do that enough and get a certain percentage, can I go on Jeopardy? I think that might be their next round of testing for 2023. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Give us a little insight scoops on, on how to do that for all those people out there who've always wanted to be on Jeopardy. You know, it's it's funny. It's been a goal since I was a kid. I'm the first in my family to go to college. I would say educationally minded household, but since I was young, I was obsessed with it. I actually walked and talked very late. People thought that there was something wrong with me, uh, probably not until about age two. And then by age three, all of a sudden I started reading by age five. I was reading chapter books by age seven college. And then I took my first SATs at 11. So it just was this weird rise. It's a funny story. Actually, there was the old Nintendo game console. They had an old Jeopardy game and I was obsessed with it to the point where I had it memorized by the time I was like seven. And it was that old controller where you had to, you know, like move on, do all the letters individually. So when people would come over for like holidays or whatever, I would challenge them to play Jeopardy and like ask them to bet a couple dollars on it. And of course, everyone's going to beat the seven-year-old, except when the seven-year-old has the answers memorized memorized and can click the answer before the question's even read and then type it in, people were getting destroyed. So that was kind of my first experience with Jeopardy. And I just, you know, watched it every day, studied and studied. And its trial process is pretty brutal. It took me three rounds of tryouts, which is actually apparently shorter than most people. It took James Hultower 11 years to make it. It took me about four and a half, but it's a lot of rounds of intensity and I I made it. And I just had to refresh my memory on who he is and the fact that he won like two and a half million dollars 
years and yeah. th- 33 times or whatever, but you said you're a reader. I wouldn't say then it came naturally. You just, you read a lot and you studied a lot. I mean, you worked at it. So it's not like you woke up. Yeah, just- I, it was work. And I, yeah, it's, it's always hard to talk about yourself without sounding, you know, like a total arrogant wanker, but basically I did work at it and I, I read, I read everything. I was the one reading the back of cereal boxes at breakfast. I was reading the sports pages. I was reading magazines left on the table, everything and anything. And I largely believe a lot of what I know is from that as an ACT SAT tutor, you know, we're constantly reading articles and passages and things with our kids. I would solidly attribute about 60% minimum of what I have known for Jeopardy based on, on just that. I never was a big reader and now I am. So at least I'm reading a lot and I'm doing Wordle every morning. It all connects my, my fiance and I joke, everything connects to everything. Like we'll be at bar trivia and we'll answer a question on something random. And the next day there's like an article that comes up about it. This happens multiple times a week. It's actually bizarre. It's our joke. And it's how you start those neurons and synapses making connections. You hear this question of bar trivia, you see the article pop up on the post, then you're at a party and your friend talks about it the next day. It all just circles around and that's how it cements in there. When you went on and when you were prepping for it, is there anything that you did once you were accepted onto the program? Was there anything else that you did to prepare for it in order to excel like that attitude, that winning attitude, that competitive attitude that you want to do well? So what was your game plan? So you only get about three weeks notice before okay. when you get the call, which is not a lot. It was a little frustrating for me because I was called in during COVID. So there were actually people in my cohort who'd had a year notice because they had been called, but didn't know they had been canceled and then rescheduled. So that was a little bit hard, but I had three weeks notice. So basically in true type A, you know, nut job fashion, we fashioned like a little podium in our living room with a little buzzer. And we bought every book on Jeopardy that ever existed and every board game and every video game and every CD-ROM and an atlas and flashcards. I mean, it looked like, you know, a library just threw up and exploded. And I studied for probably 10 hours a day. We cataloged every game. We made charts. We watched. This is my friends and my fiance me because it was a team effort. And we we categorized what I got right, what I got wrong, what my weak categories were, what my strong categories were, how we could mark up the maps. You know, we looked up the very most common categories on Jeopardy, you know, Shakespeare, presidents, rivers and lakes, and, and just kind of really hit on those. You know, a lot of it too is reasoning out. It's test taking skills. You know, in Jeopardy, there's almost always a clue in the question that is. Gonna, oh, there is. Okay. Yeah. That's going to logic you toward something, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, you know, if if they're asking about a French holiday, it's almost always going to have to do something with the Bastille. Like, you know, so there's, and that was actually one of the questions I got right on the show, but you know, there's always, there's a finite amount of information out there in a sense. I know that seems sort of paradoxical because information is limitless, but they're not going to ask you about Isaac Newton's hairdresser's dog. They're going to ask you about Isaac Newton. So like, you kind of have to know where the question is going. So it's very strategic. Like you sit down and you're like, okay, there's a strategy about it. There's technical aspects you even said about just not getting caught up in the mechanics of it, right? With knowing the, you said the podium and just getting comfortable with the setup. Well, I read a, I read a 60 page book just on buzzer strategy, just on how to, okay, there, to there is such a thing. There yep. is such a thing in buzzer strategy. There's buzzer strategy. There's board strategy. I mean, I read everything and anything I could about it and it, and it worked. I mean, a lot, if you watch the show, you know, it did. Yeah. And if you see 
you know, again, this podcast is not about Jeopardy strategy, though I can talk about it at length, but you will see who plays the board better than others. And you will see ways to do it, you know, in the sense, a lot of contestants you see will go down the line. They'll go this for 200, this for 300, this, you don't want to do that because then all of your competitors know where you are too. You want to bounce around the board to confuse them. You also want to remember that the daily doubles are usually in the third or fourth rows. So you want to be bouncing around different categories, more in the third and fourth rows to up your probability of finding that. So, you know, you also want to make sure that you're shorthanding the category names. You don't want to say French scientists for 1800s. You want to say from the 1800s, you want to say scientists for 200. You don't want to give your competitors the full category because then, you know, you're, right. you're getting the right. second. So there's all this strategy that you got to think about. When we talk about that, that also plays into how you can study for tests and how you can study in general in life and just the preparation that goes into it obviously will pay off. If you know certain things about yourself, you know you're not a morning person, you have to do X, Y, Z before you get up for that 8 a.m. test, or you need a certain type of drink or little energy after two hours, you don't want to get caught up in not performing well because of your training. Like I always say, you know, you set goals and you set a training routine and don't let the small stuff get in the way of, of excelling in whatever that goal, that race, that test that you're taking. So that's really interesting. So for all those out there, just because there's more that went into those three weeks than anyone could ever imagine, (laughs) just don't celebrate the fact that you got the call and you got in and you're able to compete. The hard game is crossing the finish line shall we say, and making sure that you do that. I agree. I wasn't going to go on. If I worked for for 30 years, I was going to go on. And I agree with you, what you're saying about, you know, setting the goals and and test taking in a way it is like that. You have to know how to play to your strengths. You know, have to not to panic when you get something that perhaps isn't a strength. Doesn't mean you can't do well at it. It means that there's a way to mitigate it or approach it in a different way than say a strength. So yeah, breaking down clues, having a strategy and how you approach things, practicing the way you play. All of these are valuable, not only for a Jeopardy, but for a test taking scenario as well. And and you said something in the beginning that I think is very important. There's always clues. Questions are in the answers. If you know those, you'll be able to get those quickly and spend time on the really challenging questions that don't have the clues that you actually have to work on that. So it's another test-taking strategy and technique that I'm sure you work on a lot with your students as well. Yeah, I always tell my students just for testing as well, but people focus so hard on what they don't know that they miss what they do. And I can't tell you how many mm-hmm. kids look at a question like, well, I don't know this formula and I don't, I don't know this and I don't. I'm like, well, wait a minute, what do you know? And they're like, well, I know it's not that. I'm like, great, that's a thing that you know. Eliminate that. That's like a very Sherlock Holmesian way of doing things. You know it's not this. Right cool, clear it out, but focus on what you do know rather than what you don't. Yeah. I think that just even from a mindset that would actually allow me to sit down with that pen and paper and, and just do such a better job, just having that mindset and being positive about it. Cause I think that's half the battle is the test anxiety that everyone or a lot of people have kind of depletes their energy when they actually need it for that, you know, last couple of questions. So in terms of testing, a lot of questions we get pros and cons taking the test and test optional. And if it is really test optional, can you just share some thoughts on pros and cons of taking the test and what families and students should think about as they start to approach that aspect of the college admissions journey? Sure. It's definitely a a wild, wild west type landscape out there. And I think like most situations in life, I I don't want to give a blanket answer 
to yes, take it or don't take it. It depends on the person. And I think that's important. I would say that there are pros to taking the test. I think first of all, and this is going to probably frustrate some people, but grades are nonsense at this point in time. We've got public schools, private schools, religious schools, charter schools, secular schools, homeschools, COVID schools, in-person schools. There's really no rhyme or reason to how grades are being given at a lot of these places. We don't know if they represent true mastery of a material, behavior in class, group work, one big exam. You know, no one, no one really knows. And that's, no one knows colleges don't really know. It's kind of not even comparing apples to oranges anymore. It's comparing apples to space giraffes. It's so hard to look at a tiny school in DC designed for students with learning disabilities and in private Jewish school in Canada. Those are just two examples of schools we mm -hmm. work with. So it's very hard for kids and to be able to sort of submit what their true mastery is. I also think that scores can help students test out of basic level classes in colleges, which of course is a more down the road thing than the app process. So scores essentially are a measurable standardized data point in a sea of increasing applications, as we've all seen the numbers that show how a student's GPA aligns with their true mastery of content, right? So as we said, grades could measure mastery or they could not. And that's also not to say that these tests are the only measure of intelligence or the true measure of intelligence, or you're stupid if you do bad, or you're smart if you do well, that's not true. But they are a way to make students stand out in this world of college admissions. And they're a way to sort of buttress up other data and match it up. So I would say the pro is really giving colleges a, a way of sort of legitimizing the rest of your profile. As we've also seen, you know, there are a lot of articles have come out lately about students, you know, scoring these elite test scores, 1550s, 1570s, 1580s, or having elite GPAs, 47s, 48s, and getting rejected from all of their top schools. And that, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, the biggest one, of course, is applications at competitive schools are, are tripling. You know, most of these schools have reported that. Harvard's acceptance rate this year, I believe, was down to 3.2%. Yale, I think, was four. Stanford was two and a half or three. And it's like most things, a double-edged sword. We have more students applying to college than ever, more students seeing that college is an opportunity for them. And in a lot of ways, that's really great, but it's very frustrating for students who have worked their whole lives to achieve these scores and these numbers and these accomplishments that they were told would get them where they want to go, and they're not. So I think those are some pros. The last pro I'll say is that, you know, the strategies and the test taking that the SAT and the ACT, just two examples, they are important basics and academic strategies for future success. I think there's a lot of misinformation going around about testing and teaching for the test and fair tests. And I have a lot to say on that, but I, I want to make very clear that again, no, I realize you don't grow up, balance your checkbook and then go find the hypotenuse of a triangle. That's everyone's favorite argument. Okay. That's not the point. The point of the test is to teach or to see if you're able to work your way out of a multi-step problem to see if you're able to comprehend a higher level text that you may not be super familiar with, but you need to glean from anyway. So these are skills that it, is a way of measuring, you know, the way your brain works. And it is one piece of the puzzle. It is not and should never be the deciding factor of you getting in somewhere alone. And quite honestly, the United States is one of the mo most holistic college admissions processes in the world. You know, in the UK, they take something called IGCSEs, GCSEs. That's your number. That's it. You're done. So I think there is a real glut of misinformation about testing out there that I, I do my best to correct. So I would say overall, it is an opportunity that you can take to buttress your approach file. You do not need to submit it at this point for some schools, though more schools are uh, turning that tide. University of Georgia, Georgetown, Florida schools, 
schools and MIT come to mind. But if it is an option, I don't see a downside to taking it, preparing for it, and seeing how you do, deciding to submit it or not. And if you don't submit it, you've gained a lot of valuable skills. Well, and you mentioned a couple other things too with the UK and certain schools. Make sure in your initial research that if you are focused on certain schools, you check with them. Because like you said, the UK, it's like you need to submit. That's not an option. So it would be a shame to miss out on certain schools because you didn't prepare. So I think it goes to the whole, as we talked about, with any aspect of what you want to do in life, you just have to have a game plan and prepare and do some research to make sure. And he also pointed out, like, if you're not a great test taker, there are ways to train and improve by doing some simple steps. So that's something to take into consideration. What are the cons for taking it? Yeah, so I think the cons, you know, the biggest one I would say that I hear from students, especially in this era where it has become more of a choice, is that they find it difficult to find the time to study for it or, you know, with the other obligations in their lives. And I think for, you know, a lot of students that's valid. I think people, of course, again, case by case basis have their own things. I will say that if, you know, the vast majority of the planet has been able to do it for a hundred years, I tend to think you can find a time. But if that is something that for your mental health and your schedule is not something that's working for you and the risk does not weigh the reward, so to speak, then that's fine. Then you should focus your search on schools that are in fact test optional or fit your academic profile in the fact that you don't need it. I think that's great. If you do take students are like, well, what if I spend the time and money to prep and I don't get, you know, a score that's submittable? You're right. That is a possibility. It's, you know, I think again, if you you know, you work hard and you use our strategies, you we will do that. But if you don't, then you, again, to me, have gained the test-taking strategies and the process of learning how to study for college. And that is, again, something on a case-by-case basis where on your list of schools, you may decide to submit your score to three of them and not submit to the other three. That's something we can talk about. And then the other con I'd say is this type of testing doesn't always measure what I would consider non-traditional intelligence as well. If you're familiar with Harvard psychologist Howard Gardner, he has created sort of a list of other intelligence among them, uh, visual, spatial, natural, interpersonal, intrapersonal, linguistic, musical, all these different kinesthetic uh, other intelligences that, for instance, artsy types, right? Artsy types may not perform as well as an SAT, but I don't know about you, I can barely draw a stick figure. Whereas I have had students (laughs) who have taken a photo of my dog and me, drawn it on a piece of paper to the fact that it looks like a photo, it's insane. So if you're going into a theater or a dance or an art major, a conservatory, something like that, your application process is number one, probably going to be very different with auditions and portfolios and things of that nature. They may, you know, devalue something of this nature. You may not need that. Or again, you may be looking at a school that has a program that says, well, we value A, B, and C in your profile more than this test score. So, you know, those are the three to me, I would say time and money would probably be my biggest compelling factors, though I do think there are ways to, again, strongly prepare for these tests that do not involve an immense amount of either. But, you know, we are in a world right now where it is still more of a choice and, you know, students have to kind of make the choice that's best for them. And I think that's really important because you have to know you yourself as a learner and what you do best and how you learn and set realistic goals as well. I just wish I had thought of some of these fun games, like you mentioned all the board games and and just there are so many fun ways that you can quote unquote study that I would not think is is hard. But I never looked at that when I was 16. I wish I had done that because it would have made life a little bit fun if I had been playing Scrabble or one of the other ones. I mean, there are ways to improve and be more prepared and not in a stressful manner. That's not like homework. You mentioned a couple of things that I would like to ask in terms of submitting the scores. You, you mentioned, you know, you don't need to submit them when you're taking the test or, or you may choose not to and wait until you get it back. 
we highly recommend that. I would not submit scores. It's it's kind of a weird process because of course they try to dangle the free ones in front of you and you sign right. up to submit them, which is obnoxious. But yeah, I would always get the scores back unless, you know, we do have a few students who apply to schools that just need like a baseline, like we need an 1100 to let you into this program, something like that. And, and you know, we're sure they're going to get it. And if they don't get it, it's no biggie. They take it again and resubmit. But I would say okay. we, we get the scores back and we see where the lay of the land is. We see what the super score is. And then we decide where we submit and and kind of go from there. In terms of test optional, is it really test optional? Right. <laughs> that, that's a separate podcast. And we'll need to have a panel of university experts up there, not you. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, like I said, we're seeing an increase in a lot of diversity in college applications. And I don't just mean that racially, which I think is the, the most common way people think about it. We're seeing a large amount of geographical diversity, both domestic and international. We, of course, seeing racial diversity. We're seeing regional diversity in the sense of the different kinds of kids who are going to college. We're seeing lots of people looking at different educational paths. Like most situations, it's a double-edged sword where it's certainly helping a lot of students who are seeing opportunities open to them. But for students who didn't used to have to compete with those other sort of dark horses, let's let's call them sort of people we didn't expect to be applying, it can be a little frustrating. And it's one of those things where it's a hard situation because you want everybody to win as childish and utopian as that sounds. You don't want to tamp down diversity or tamp down opportunities for others, but you also are kind of like, wait, I, I, I did the work here too. So right. it's, you know, we're certainly recommending that if you, number one, feel that your profile has any sort of weaknesses, red flags, pink flags, if you will, anything you could use to buttress it up, we do recommend trying to get that high test score. And again, if you are applying to someplace that is extremely, extremely elite or competitive, your IVs, your baby IVs, uh, we also do recommend trying to get that test score to really, you know, rise to the top in that process. But question, you know, people who are on the fence, I always tell clients and parents to ask themselves is, do I or my child have such an it factor that without a test score, I am still an unequivocal hell yes admit? If the answer is yes, then then take take your take your shot. Um, but you know, again, are you Simone Biles? Have you won an Olympics? Have you cured cancer? Have you designed an app that wins the Olympics and cures cancer at the same time? If not, then you might want to consider again just doing absolutely everything you can. And again, that doesn't always mean test scores. We've you know we have other options we can talk about if you'd like to, but that's sort of our our guiding question. Hey, listen, it's like a Jeopardy game. If the answer was so clear everyone would be doing it it wouldn't yep. be a game at all there would be no yep. applications do you have any tips that you would share for students who are getting ready to take the test yeah i think well if you are getting ready to take it and you have a little time i would say starting early is the best advice i have not in a a weird salesperson-y way, but most of the math on these tests is actually seventh to 10th grade level. A lot of people don't know that. So your child can actually start studying and hint, hint, saving money for you in middle school. They should be saving all of their notes, making sure all those formulas are down, all of that stuff. So as if they're studying and cycling back to their basics, organizing their notes, making sure everything is down, everybody's saving time, stress, and money, which is great. Of course, while the texts, like the reading on the test are a bit more advanced, those reading skills and critical reading skills and comprehension skills are developing primarily in that seventh to 10th grade window as well. So making sure you're always reading. So I would just say starting early rather than, oh my God, the test is in a month. Can we sign up for 12 tutoring sessions? The first one's a little bit of a better option. I would say right. this, the second thing I would remind people is don't get cute. 
Uh, everybody likes to come and say that they hear some magical test trick that skips corner, cuts corners, or they know something or this. And, you know, again, you have to think, do you think that the rando on the internet has really cracked an almost <laughs> century old test when nobody else has? No. <laughs> so, you know, learn the strategies, just like No Anxiety Prep teaches, do it right. Any good tutor or company will teach you strategies that set you up, not just for test success, but for academic success. So just something to keep in mind if you are looking for prep mm -hmm. that it's really important to not be bought in by snakes oil. And then the third tip I have, as we talked about in the beginning is read, 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 then read some more reading skills are, are exposing you to harder concepts, strong vocabulary, sentence structure, grammar, logic, all of those things. So, you know, I, I get a few kids who are like, but I hate reading. And I just say, I have some very wild news about college for you. So. <laughs> I know, right. I mean, there's so much, and I would say, don't stay with the same genre. You have to diversify like in terms of try different forms of reading too, because, you know, take the newspaper, take, you know, online, get some actual real books. Oh, they still make those amazing. Yes. You can read books with pages. And yeah, I tell my kids, I love sports. You can read Sports Illustrated. It's great writing, but try to challenge yourself with an article from Politico. Try to challenge yourself right. with an article from, I don't care if it's from the Kids Post and Washington Post. Some of those are actually interesting. Do whatever you need to do. But yes, you should be reading a bunch of different things reading. and, and circulating that material and thinking about it. Like, I don't always agree with everything I read. Some of my kids are like, well, why are you talking about this? This is stupid. I'm like, cool. Let's talk about why it's stupid. You know, you've got to be able to read and interact with material and, and express ideas and talk about what has merit and what doesn't. That's how you succeed on these tests. And it's not listening because so many, so much of what we get now is delivered to us. I read a book. I learn better by actually physically holding the paper. I'm not somebody who can read it on my phone or on my laptop. Some people will say, oh, well, I, I listened to the books. You know, it's, one of those on hills, it's not, not the hill I'm going to choose to die on because I do, I, I'd rather that happen than nothing. And I do realize that some people have learning disabilities and learning differences where an auditory sense of learning is a better path for them. I think in my dream world, they have a text copy with the auditory, whether that is a physical text or a computer text, but not the hill I'm going to choose to die on. I think the exchange of ideas, the expression of ideas, the, the critical thinking of said ideas is, is so important. And I think we've all come to, you know, we're still coming to this new way of reading. I know it doesn't seem new, but you have to remember when the novel first came on, novel was going to destroy society. I mean, that's essentially what Madame Bovary is about, right? The novel is the destruction of society. And then TV was the destruction of society. And then social media was the destruction of society, um, which remains to be seen. But I think we have to remember that every new way of consuming reading, however you want to put it, is at first scary and daunting. But if we're using it responsibly and using it in the right way to form critical thinking, which the world is sorely in need of, then it's a win. So if audiobooks are what's doing it for you, have at it. You have my blessing right. world. No, it's so true. And I, I also just think too, having a conversation, I think sometimes I, I know my kids would roll their eyes when I'm like, so what did you think about that? But that actually helps you, they always say, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Yep. And that shows that you've mastered that concept. So that's another really great way of probably prepping and trying to take it an example or a form of text and explaining it to somebody, which would be a, a really great way to show that you've mastered that concept. 100%. I advocate my students work together in small groups, or I mean, I know every teenager loves hanging out with their parents, but I tell them to teach it to the family dog. Talk talk about what they learned. Talk about with your friends. I, I love when my kids who all go to the same school text me a picture and they're in the class with their SAT books. They're like, we're studying together. I'm like, great. So yeah, definitely make it. it doesn't 
doesn't need to be this lock in your room dungeon type Rapunzel story. It can definitely be a collaborative study experience. Is there any book that you are reading right now? I'd love to hear. I'm, I'm somebody who always has like five books on my desk. So <laughs> anything that we should be reading, I'd love it. Yeah, I just read, I just finished one yesterday and it was, it was the van, I have to look at the exact, it was like the Vanishing Women of the Irish Triangle. It was really Ooh. sobering, especially with what's going on in the world right now and it's continual war against women. But it was essentially about eight murders in Ireland in the 1990s of women who they're basically unsolved. And it, it was the author who grew up in one of those towns sort of exploring why this happened, how this happened, who the suspects were, what it means in a, a country like Ireland that does not have the greatest track record on women. And it was quite interesting because a lot of the comments she made about Ireland and women, you could just put America in there and it would fit real nice. Oh. So that was interesting. And then the other book I am actually almost done with is Louise Penny, The Madness of Crowds. Okay. Like I've familiar. read, I've, I forget what she wrote before I read it to cabin 12. I just finished her book with Hillary Clinton called state of terror, which was actually okay. quite good as well. But this one is about, as you can tell from the title, the madness of crowds, it, it takes in a little bit of pandemic stuff, but it also takes into account free speech and where the line is and where do we use academic institutions as bastions of free speech? And where is that line when it becomes a danger to the community? So I don't want to spoil too much, but there is a professor who okay. comes in this book who has some interesting ideas about how to deal with the population control. If you've ever read anything about Peter Singer's work, that may give you a hint. And sort of the ensuing aftermath, there is a murder, there is some issues. It's oh boy. Quite, I'm, quite I'm, interesting. I'm going on. I'm, I'm going to the bookstore right after we talk <laughs> and buy that. So I don't even know if I can ask this question because what do you wish you knew before attending college? Because boy, you did a lot in college. So. <laughs> I will say I'll start with some less serious ones and go to some more serious ones. So take, take what works for you. But I, I wish I knew that good friends don't always make good roommates. I wish I knew yes. that sometimes, sometimes you don't need to go to every party and that there will always be another one. And then in all seriousness, I think that there is help available if you ask for it and you need to self-advocate for yourself. That is a really important skill to learn. I think that mental health care is real and students should not feel stigmatized for getting that help. And I think more importantly, that the career path and the goals that you have so locked into your brain at 18 may not necessarily be what you end up with at graduation at age 22, which may not be what you do at age 27. So I would say as big sistery and obnoxious as it sounds, be open to unexpected opportunities and changes in your goals. I think it's so important because I think the pressure sometimes that we as society or parents put on, or it's perceived that you're supposed to know all this. And I think part of the fun and reward of going to college is to be curious. And how can you be curious if you're just so fixated on, I should only be doing X. You should explore, as you said, and explore not only in the classroom, but outside the classroom and take risks. Obviously, like look at somebody like yourself, take risks. It's fun. You never know. You may, be in, you may be an aerialist or something like that. Yeah. I mean, this podcast is great because you got to skip over all my failures. You know, my whole thing is like, if you haven't tried it, uh, some, somebody said, I like open water swimming and I've been open water swimming in some really cold weather and water lately. And somebody said, why, why would you go into 50 degree water? And my comment was, why not? You get tired from being so nervous all the time. Just go do it. Just go do the it. feeling that you get afterwards is so much better and you feel so great and awesome after that it just blew away all that nervousness and that uneasiness going up to that event. So we are all about food. Do you have any favorite food items, desserts or other food items on a college campus or near one? 
Well, I'm a very naughty little gymnast because I love ice cream. So my, yes. my, <laughs> my food places are centered around dessert. But um, uh, as an undergraduate at University of Maryland, that was one of my biggest selling points in deciding to go there, which I guess looking back is problematic. But they uh, have a Maryland dairy in the Stamp Student Union. I know when I did my tour there, they bragged that their ice cream had the highest fat content in the nation. So that is very exciting. UMD was originally an agricultural school. So I believe the ice cream is made from the campus and the local cows. And they do some fun seasonal flavors named after um, like the coaches of sports so they'll do like a march madness ice cream they'll do you know Frigian's fudge ripple they'll do all these fun things so i think that's kind of a fun little school spirit way and then um up at harvard they have a cute little place called jp scoops and it has like a cute little cow because i like little cow mascots and they do a really good hot chocolate it's right next to campus and it's just a cute little place to kind of sit sit into your work and you know we all know boston's balmy winters so great place for ice cream there i love that you know what and i could say so quote unquote, that was your failure. You like ice cream. Yes, you're real. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> you and I would be in the ice cream. Lab. And just, just for anyone listening, when, my, when I asked my, one of my sons what, why he chose a particular school and his comment was the dessert bar. As a parent, I did all I could to zip it because I was like, what? I'm spending X. You There's know a what? little part of you that's proud. There's like a little part of you. Exactly. Proud. I'm like, geez, I know whose kid you are. <laughs> Nikki, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all those really helpful tips and getting students not intimidated, more like game on. They can handle it. And if they prep accordingly and they set a goal, they will do to the best that they can. So that's yeah. great. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having me. And I wanted to say anyone who's listening, thank you. And I believe in you. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing your expertise with us about the testing process. As more and more schools become test optional, you may have wondered about the importance of standardized tests. Nikki helps us put things into perspective by discussing the pros and cons of studying, taking, and submitting these scores, and how they can affect your college admissions and candidacy for schools. Nikki's company, No Anxiety Prep, helps students all around the country by providing them the necessary tools so that they can succeed not only in test taking, but learning as a whole. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversations on our website at collegescoops.com podcast. You can learn more about Nikki and No Anxiety Prep on their website, noanxietyprep.com. Please take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops. Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.